You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. So Hayden, I know you can see my camera. I've transitioned from the closet. No longer in a closet. I'm in a professional studio now. Um, for those watching on the video portion, no, it's still a closet, but work in progress. I am, um, you know, putting up some decorations. It's a big step for me. Uh, we got a comment, someone saying it, it's obvious that you're in a closet, Brendan. And I was like, this is my bedroom, sir. How dare you? Uh, but yeah, working on it. Got a little bit of a scene, got some lights. You know, I feel like, I feel like a real YouTuber right now. So it's a moment. Hayden, always the sort of illumin uh, illuminescent that, that was the word that was about to come out of my mouth was illuminescent i was gonna say you have an illuminescent background um but same background as always how has your life been how has your life been in flesh and blood what do you think about the meta how do you feel about the upcoming pro tour baltimore i know you're not going to be attending but i do think you'll be watching which is um fantastic let me know how bad i am on camera and twitch chat please but uh what do you think about the meta right now what's what's been going on <laughs> just keep it simple to start with on the pod um I mean, <laughs> life's, life's pretty good. Definitely playing some flesh and blood at the moment. Uh, I mean, meta is really interesting. I, I think we're going to talk about it a lot in this pod because what we've seen with the Battle Harden last weekend is another really diverse top eight. Uh, not so much maybe a diverse showing, well, a reasonably diverse showing of heroes, but the sort of conversion to top eight was really mixed. Um, and I think that is going to lead to quite an interesting meta for the pro tour i think the narrative has been that it's going to be really open i was listening mm-hmm. to instance speed podcast this week with blake and some dude um and the, the guest you wouldn't believe it this this guest arrogant get no, i'm kidding brendan as the guest this week you i know you said that you thought this would be potentially the most wide open meta we've had for a pro tour or a pro level event and i you know i'm not sure that's necessarily true i think there's a couple of really big players in this format and i think the meta will sort of converge a bit as we get to the pro tour which you can pip me with questions once we get mm. to the pod, but I think it's um, it's a very interesting sort of lead-in. So I don't think it's going to be like, you know, every single deck is equally represented, but I do think if you look at Proto number one, which is pretty, I mean, it was like three decks. You look at Proto yeah. number two, it was one deck. It was uh, a bit more wide. It was a bit more wide at Proto two, yeah. though. I feel like it was, bro- I mean, I feel like people weren't playing Briar were throwing, but, you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like compared to those, but... I do have to ask you, since you did listen to this and speed, did you hear my, my jokes? I mean, did make some jokes about you. I hope that you would hear them. Flake was doing his, uh, his accent. Oh, his British accent that he's trying <laughs> to pass off as Australian. It was terrible. If you haven't listened to instant speed this week, I mean, it's just even a podcast at this point. We're just, we're talking about other podcasts, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Flake was just talking about whatever he wanted to talk about, talking about how bad I am at Mario Kart, which true. I'm not that great at Mario Kart, but I am, first of all, I'm not Australian. I'm from New Zealand, so I felt a little bit insulted, I would say. And also, I don't sound like that. <laughs> Not also, Uber, the, the accent of Uber was just spot on. Precious. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> we can flesh and blood. Yep. We, should we talk about that? Go for uh, it. I've been, I've been testing. Yeah, I've been playing have. some Classic Constructed. Uh, not as much as I had been in the previous weeks now that we're getting closer to the PT. Obviously not attending, so it's a bit less of a focus for me than it would be had I been planning to be at the PT. and very you know religiously getting out there morning and evening getting a lot of hours and um i'm pretty settled on the deck i think i would play if i was going to the pt i think list wise 
probably not quite, but I plan to kind of solidify what I would play at the PT and share that list next week before uh, before the PT, which I think we can we can discuss then. Um, and I might I'll try and put up a video if if time allows. Uh, if I feel like I have enough to say, otherwise we might just kind of post the list and um, talk about it briefly next week on on the pod. Brendan draft. Uh, I'm going to try and do a draft tonight. I drafted. When did I last draft? I drafted in the top eight of my skirmish mm. two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. This last time I drafted, so I definitely want to get more drafts in. I think this format is again very very interesting, and um, I'm I'm actually really excited to watch the draft draft portion of um, of Baltimore <laughs> just to see what kind of. Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just uh, it's not going to be recorded, unfortunately. No, no. The games, the games, okay, the, the games. games. Yeah. But also, I think it's such a miss that we that it is. The drafts aren't recorded. It is. Which uh, I we're we're what this is effective pro event number four, and we're not recording drafts. It's intentional, yeah. by the way. Uh, I don't know if I'm shit. I might not be supposed to say that, but anyway, uh, we we know that we know that they haven't been wanting to record drafts. Uh, because I when I was a player, which I still am a player, but when I was uh top eight drafting in Dallas, I was like, oh, you guys want to record the draft? Like it's my favorite part of watching. And they're like, nope, LSS does not want us to do it for tournament integrity, and I think that's public knowledge. So I yeah. kind of disagree yeah. with the effect of tournament integrity on you know so a willing participant to uh, to stream their draft because I think that it adds content and you can follow said participant through the uh, through the rounds. But yeah. Um, um, excited to watch the games, Hayden, right? What are you excited about? I, I am. I am because I think people have different takes on this format. Uh, I was talking to Alan Lau from Hong Kong on Limited Time Only this week, who is a very, very good player. Someone who doesn't like peace of mind, just doesn't like the card in the format, doesn't think the, the play patterns that uh, they like to sort of engage in with this draft format, doesn't want peace of mind in the deck. So, you know, I think that's really interesting because a lot of other players, I spoke to Chu Hing the week before from Singapore, who's a very, very good limited mind, feels opposite. And I think I feel opposite to that. So I just think that we're going to get into the game. So people are going to have different takes on how to have drafted and play these heroes. There's six heroes. There's different ways you can play each of these heroes. Um, I think card quality is pretty similar across the board. You know, it doesn't feel like Uprising where it was like, you know, it had these terrible yellows and these cards mm-hmm. that felt pretty, pretty unplayable. It feels like for the most part, you can, in the right decks, all the cards can be playable so and they all have a role somewhere which is really interesting so i'm i'm excited to see that it's more generic things like that so yeah um i do have to i just follow up on that follow up on that ask you a question in terms of like hero hero power level i know you've you've probably talked about this quite enough but just to like just to sum it up in terms of like because you talked about uprising and uprising it was definitely like Fi's up here you know some people disagree and they're like they prefer to draft Jermai or Icelander, but it did seem like Fi was just like easier to draft at the very least and you know you could get away with more players drafting five at the table so it seemed like uh, a somewhat safer pick in a draft pod how do you feel about that sort you know that concept in uh outsiders draft specifically do you feel like there's any heroes that maybe crop up as like this one's uh, you know a bit easier to draft than the others and a different hero that you know contrary to that is like you really need the pieces to make this work at all yeah there is but it's it's less polarizing than uprising mm-hmm. so i think the kind of common consensus and I think definitely the consensus of myself and the guests I've had on limited time only is that assassin is a little bit of that. It can support the most players at the table because of cardboard, because of the mm. ability to use generics and weaker generics in a better way. Um, and because of how spider spites works, it means that some blues that you wouldn't want to see in your ranger deck or even your ninja deck, for instance, um, have a home, have a place. So I think assassin is that I think, you know, I talked about this again on limited time only this week, four, two, two kind of feels like, roughly what tables are going to split out like um, somewhere there or thereabouts or three three twos so typically four assassin two ninja two ranger feels like what can be supported the best um, when it comes to this draft format 
So that might you might think, well, that means assassin is more like in the fire camp. It's more powerful. It's not so much that as it is just that you can support more decks. I think with the assassin cards because of the interchangeability and the and the sort of the closeness of, of card quality. Um, on the flip side of that, like you talked about, you know, if I'm drafting Azalea, for instance, I do not want another Azalea drafter at the table. You the the cards you need are so much more specific. You are in a bit of a I guess a draw my spot to that degree where you know if you've got it was you know think about the last format you had three dromos at the table even sometimes it felt really really bad and it feels similar for azalea because this particular cards you want so yeah there's a bit of it but it's a lot less polarizing and i think um because of the generics you they open longer as well which is a real benefit again one thing i just wish we had 15 card packs but that's like yeah that is that is, i mean i know we we sort of picked up on that initially and when we saw we saw the product sheet but it does look like it has translated the way we thought it would where it's you know, the additional card does add it feels like it adds more depth, right? It opens up more playability to some heroes that are a bit harder to draft. It also makes the wheel feel a bit more relevant sometimes. Just got more tools to work with, I think. Um, yeah, so for my week in Flesh and Blood, obviously, you and I just got a... F- well, I guess you could call games. We were playing with Sasha, and we kind of degenerated and just talking about whatever we, we end up talking about. Um, but for me, you know, I'm preparing to cast the Pro Tour from the uh analysis side of things and i would say that this one in particular is a bit more overwhelming than the others um because the diversity of heroes being represented in these top eights i also you know post a meeting with the a production crew i know that this is generally a thing at tournaments but at cfb uh we would the casters were actually the ones usually kind of picking the feature matches i don't think that's going to be the case this time and i know that they actually prioritize deck diversity early in a tournament so it's def it's going to be a really on me <laughs> to know to know the wacky decks um, in particular. So I'm probably going to be on those um, casting those. And then the main thing that's concerning for me is just kind of like funky rules interactions, which we ran into in some of our Talishar games. It's just that they're not hard, but you know the way that people play in paper. So like you know they play Come to Fight, they leave Come to Fight on the board, and then they use Azuri's ability. It's 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 confusing right especially when you're trying to think about a bunch of things so yeah i'm a, i'm a, i don't know i'm a little bit nervous for this one where the last one i wasn't nervous at all but i i have like a super hard boot camp um coming up this this upcoming week yeah it's a there's a lot more happening in this current format there's a lot more even even in draft format like there's just a lot more rules interactions um where if you haven't seen them then you might they're not intuitive necessarily or you just might need a second and i guess that's harder when you're in the booth you know so um there's definitely some some quick fire ones which i think we we talked about a couple this morning you know we refresh the interaction between ponder and mm. you can destroy for instance and inertia um i want to ask you a question though you know like, mm. okay you sit down round one you're in the booth i don't know tan and grace is next to you or like brian someone's next to you what's the what's the nightmare matchup like what are you worried about being paired round one like what do you not want to see because you maybe aren't quite familiar yet the, at the moment maybe yeah, so yeah we'd have to take the knowledge that i have right now i'd say it's it's definitely um it's definitely assassin probably be like a more off meta assassin deck because like Correct like we, yeah something like that um just because you know i'm not a big fan of that hero to be honest i haven't played it in for my personal pleasure very much and it's just like yeah it has it has some wacky interactions as well <laughs> so yeah that's the one where i'd be like ugh, i'd be kind of a groan also you know uh cfb had this custom program they had on a small ipad where so the card the card images were done by the casters that's not going to happen at this one um and 
yeah, so like that the card image thing was also a resource to quickly look up cards in like a very, you know, succinct database. Um so yeah, I mean that that's the thing I'm I would be most worried about. I think that, you know, ultimately, you know, fast forward a week and a half from now or whatever, I'm going to be very comfortable with every single card's name and text on the card. It's more these like niche ruling things and then the way that players represent their board states on paper can be pretty confusing. You'll be fine. You got plenty of time to play some more games. And you know, I could just bullshit it. You know, at the end of the day, I just, you know, Twitch chat will forgive me. <laughs> just uh, that, Twitch chat notoriously known as a very forgiving group yep, of people. Very forgiving. So. Yep, yep. I'll yep. be on there spamming you. Don't you worry. All right, news time. Yeah, let's talk news. I mean, first of all, Road to Baltimore and calling Baltimore is next weekend. So by the time this pod drops, we are a week away from from the Pro Tour. Very exciting. Obviously, Brendan will be there going. I was gonna say harass. Go and say hello. Don't say hello. Uh, <laughs> pop in, and of course he'll be on coverage. I'll be watching from home. Very excited. And skirmish season is in full swing as well. So, like I was saying, got to play a limited skirmish. There are sealed plus booster draft top eight uh, skirmishes, but also blitz in a big part of this this season. And Brendan, I don't know if you've seen some of these results, um, but Icelander is uh, is doing fairly well so far when it comes to comes to skirmish season and blitz yeah Peyton. um in i'll take you a little history lesson not too long ago where a good friend of mine named kano actually died for the sins of icelander in blitz and it looks like it's going to happen once again yeah icelander icelander uh i'm not going to take credit for this because you said it but i also believe it and i think that icelander in a format like blitz is just a better wizard after um aether wildfire has been banned uh but it's also better than every other deck, I guess, as well. Storm Shredders is very powerful. We've known that Icelander, in in like this condensed format where the life tolls are so low, Storm Shredders becomes stronger, right? Like the 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 sort of effect of it is uh, is felt a lot more. So yeah, Icelander absolutely just destroying skirmish season right now. Do you have sort of any stats for me in terms of how dominant it actually is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna living legend is <laughs> what's gonna happen. So, old it looks like ultimate Icelander will probably living legend in this skirmish season. So, I, I skirmish season is something that I haven't really seen be talked about. But we have we have the last week this weekend coming up, and Ultim is six points away, so that's three wins away from living legend. And Icelander is twelve points, six wins away. And for context, so far Icelander has won seventy one events. So at this this season, so it's uh, it's two points for a, for a skirmish win, and uh, we have I want to double check that yeah two points for a skirmish win, and we have 142 points to Icelanders name credited to Icelanders name for the season so far, so 71 wins, uh, Ultim's put in 21 wins, so it's pretty close. In terms of just some of the other heroes that have been winning, um, Kasai has seen some pretty good results. Yeah, your favorite, <laughs> uh, eight, 18 wins by the looks of it, or 19 wins. Chain with 18 wins, Dash with 19 wins. So those are the heroes that have been performing pretty well in the Blitz sort of skirmish season. They're the top. I mean, Icelander is just so far ahead. You know, it's winning triple what some of these these other heroes are winning. Um, but then, yeah, it's, so it's it's Icelander so far. Ultim right up in there. Kasai, Chain, Dash, and then Kano actually. So, you know, as much as we talk about Wildfire being banned, I think Kano is still very, very powerful and potent, obviously. Uh, it's putting up results. 16 wins to, to Kano's name. Prism not far behind there. And then just some some shout-outs. I mean, Azuri's been doing fairly well. He's won eight events. Um, other heroes that are worth Benji won a, won a, a skirmish. Riptide's won a couple. Um, 
Zalia, Yoji, Dardadol. Dardadol won a skirmish, so yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember um, I remember Michael Fang gave me that deck for the Dallas Battle Harden, um, the second one, the one that was Blitz. And I remember playing it. Literally, I, I had not played the deck at all. He, I slammed it, right? Yeah, he gave me the, the, like, basically the deck that was in his backpack because I didn't bring one. I wasn't playing to play Blitz because I thought it sucked <laughs> at the time. Um, and yeah, I was like, this is the most broken thing I've been doing in Flesh and Blood, and it's so easy to do. And I think we're seeing that sort of come to fruition as this deck becomes so dominant um, in the skirmish season. Do you think that, uh, yeah, I mean, you think it's just going to be a Living Legend solution, not a banning? Well, it's going to hit Living Legend. Like, mm-hmm. Icelander will be Living Legend this, this season. It's 12 points away. So, we'll, we'll see Viserai, Ultimate, Icelander be... I mean, and, you know, of course, it's not guaranteed, but based on run rate, it would be very, very outside of <laughs> uh, the expected for Icelander and Ultimate to not achieve Living Legend this weekend. I have a good question, then. Um, do you think the Stormshredder should have remained banned? Uh, should have remained banned? Mm, probably not, I think. Um, uh, it's tough. I, I think they have. I think the way that LSS have looked at balancing blitzes around key events, so where they've put blitz into the spotlight, you know, a, at a tier four event like Worlds, they've they've made sure to balance the format a bit more. Um, and then they've obviously made the decision that you know, for the I guess a, a more general population or events at tier one level like skirmish, they want to they want to let people play with their cards, right? Um, I mean, crown seeds obviously is still banned, but isn't seeming to hinder ultim. So, yeah, it's tough. I mean, Kano's obviously still winning events, but it looks a little bit more reasonable, you know, 16 events as opposed to the 70-odd that, that Icelanders won this, this uh, current skirmish season. Might indicate that once Icelander goes, maybe Stormstrays is okay. My feeling is that Kano is really, really powerful in Blitz either way. It's worth noting Kano is, you know, so it's Eviscerate Ultimate Icelander. These will be, we assume, the three heroes living legend. After that, it's then Ira and Kano. They, they are the next sort of top mm-hmm. two and, and that stems back to some historical living legend points as well but yeah i think that icelanders uh would be take still might have the number one spot on snapdragon scalers to be honest i think that that deck is pretty good like in terms of blitz i, I don't know if it would be the overwhelmingly best deck but i i think it's not i still might be eking out over kano if, if storm shadows is gone because uh, i mean it would be better than kano for sure but i mean storms yeah. i don't think it'd be top tier i mean you've lost hypothermia you've yeah, yeah, there's the Ice other. Vein. Yeah, yeah the there's other been so many cards. I mean, it has the most cards and the additional cards. It's, it's, yeah. it's Icelanders <laughs> hit. So, uh, turns out Storm playing Shredder's both sides of the turn right cycle is pretty good, eh? Yeah, yeah. Getting bookended turns, you know, getting to play on your turn, then your opponent's turn to finish off a game in a in a format where people have you know maximum twenty life is huge. So, yeah, we will we will see. I mean, that is that is skirmish season. One week to go. I'm gonna head out and play a blitz skirmish this weekend. Looking forward to that sure what i'll play it we need to sleeve up a deck and decide though uh elsewhere in the news we have battle hard and richmond happen over the weekend mm-hmm. congrats to Paeshki who won that event on ultim it was an all ultim final really setting some uh i guess some, maybe some benchmarks for what we, we might expect um next weekend and the pro tour brody of course made another top eight it's battle hardened so you just assume brody's gonna be in that top eight in north america uh, there was some good representation. Seven heroes represented, so Ultim was the only double up, and it was a, an all Ultim final, which was interesting. But um, yeah, congrats to Pat on the win there. I think that kind of does it for the news. I mean, yeah, that's 
that's all I have to say on the news front. Really. Yeah, we're obviously going to talk about the main topic of the pod, but just so we can set precedent, because I think it's pretty interesting, and we're going to compare it to the most recent results, but it was Oldham, Jeremiah, Azalea, Azuri, um, Lexi, Brava, Dash. So, I mean, there's a few in there that I'm just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Which is This is representation from Battlehardened, right? Yeah, the Battlehardened Top 8. Um, but yeah, top 8. Yeah, and it, it's actually quite... Uh, Quite interesting in comparison to the even the most recent battle battle hard before that where Brody Spock did win on Azalea. Um but yeah, alas, that is the main topic. Do we have a command and cookouts uh, question this week, sir? We do. We have a, a a question which I think you'll you'll like. It's a bit off topic. It's a bit uh not so much flesh and blood related, but more card game related. And uh this comes from Alexander Snell. Look at that, right? Mm. Close enough. Uh with the question is Brendan, you are pretty outspoken on Lorcana, having your own podcast on Lorcana as well. You're on Twitter in the week, Hayden, that you played some games of Lorcana as well. I want to know what you both think of Lorcana as a game, and do you think it has a place alongside the likes of Flesh and Blood? Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I mean you're the you're the Lorcana guy. So we played a lot. Yeah, we played a lot. We quite. I mean, we played enough. Let me say that a lot is a weird word, but we played enough. Um, Lorcana in its current iteration which is, you know, we have, like, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 cards, enough to play playable decks of every single color combination. Lakana feels like a card game made by suits. It feels like a card game made by corporations. And what do I mean by that? It just feels, to be honest, and yeah, if you're sitting here and you're a big Lakana truther and you're like, this is the future of card games, and you're just stuck on that, and you're like, Brennan, you don't have all the cards? Yeah, I know. But a lot of these cards are printed on the front of the box of a lot of starter decks, uh, a lot of like the key marquee, like the marquee art. Um, and you can discern a lot from, you know, playing playable decks. Uh, yeah, it just feels like um, it's very simple, of course, and we expected that. And simple things aren't necessarily bad. There can be a lot of uh, complexity added into something that is inherently simple um, because of competitive play and just, you know, competing against other human beings that can add depth in and of itself. But Lakana, in terms of how it's designed, is like it, it it has taken a lot of elements for other card games, and it feels like it stripped a lot of the essence out of those card games. It also has a lot of elements that are, in my opinion, fundamentally archaic, like completely asynchronous turns, damage counters, which are actually not that bad. I, I I'm a very much against damage counters, persistent damage in a game that's played in paper but they actually it doesn't come up that much because combat is not actually really a thing in Lorcana. combat is like some sort of like secondary or tertiary element that happens because of like the tempo of what i would consider what reaping or what is reaping from keyforge but is questing in Lorcana. i think that's the name for it uh, but yeah like combat is not like a a thing that you're actually really thinking about and engaging in it's just kind of a a super linear of like this like ev evaluation of like do i trade this and then lose it to um you know the opponent's whatever they have represented on board and i cash it in now uh there is a push and pull which i think is important i think that, that is the foundation of what make our games fun you know there is like someone else is ahead you're ahead there is a there's a trade-off it's like do i do i cash in this resource now potentially lose it or do i save it um i think that's interesting i think that the art is cool i think that the color identity is cool as well like there's a lot of flavor but ultimately the gameplay was uh you know hayden i would say i would probably describe it as uninspiring um does that mean that i'm just gonna before i pass it over does that mean that i won't play it and i won't have a lot of fun with it 
Absolutely not. I think that, you know, if all of my best friends are playing it, if it's just a popular game, and that ultimately, I think that make or break it for Lakana is, for me, 100% the card design. The card design has to, it's got to hold up this game because the rules and the, the base interaction does not. If you get a bunch of commons together in Flesh and Blood and you slap them together and you play against a friend, it's fundamentally fun because the game is fun the game is well designed like iridex are a great experience lakana is not that so i think that there has to be card design that adds layers onto this sort of lack of complexity that exists in the game um but yeah ultimately i think if my friends are playing it and if there is you know a level of depth that is added to the game through high level play then that will be fun if the game is balanced i think it will be fun that's those are my thoughts I guess part of the reason for choosing this question for me as well was Flesh and Blood podcast, obviously, Brendan, mm. you know. And I think one of the things playing this game, so I played a bit of Disney Lorcana the other day uh, with what was first available next to Sasha. And my kind of, I guess, takeaway was just comparing it to Flesh and Blood, you know, just what a solid game Flesh and Blood is from a design perspective, from how interesting the the principles are and what the game feels like and that 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 made me feel good because i think recently i think it's part of partly this is not going to the pro tour but my kind of um my enjoyment for flesh and blood has maybe been a little bit lower in the constructed format i've been really enjoying limited and and been trying to play as much as possible but with constructed i've been a little bit less in it than maybe i have been previously and i think a big part of that is just not not going to be at the pro tour so my testing has been a bit more exploratory rather than um necessarily focused for instance and i think when I played a few games of other games over the past week, I played a bit of Magic, uh, for instance, while I was back home. I did a few cube drafts, which I love cube draft because firstly draft, which is my favorite format, and mm-hmm. then cube, I think it's, it's quite interesting um, as well, especially when they're sort of custom cubes people have come up with. Um, that was great. But also I think just again, that and Disney Lord and comparing it back to Flesh and Blood, I just have a you know, continued appreciation for what this what this game is, I think, and the design aspects. And yeah, my kind of takeaways are pretty similar to you about Lorcana. You know, um, I quite like the, I'm going to call it the Digivolve mechanic, if you've played any of this. I can't remember the, yeah. yeah, Shift, which is, because there is a lot of mechanics from other games that have kind of been damaged into Lorcana, and most of them work okay, I think, and it's it's a reasonably clean game, which is good. Like mm-hmm. you were talking about the damage counters feel a little bit awkward, but they're actually kind of fine, um, the kind of total lore and things like that. But yeah, I, I had fun, and I think the, the property is obviously really cool. You have a really great IP, and I think that's going to support what this game is. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with it, but you know, I'm not going anywhere from playing Flesh and Blood, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think that like it's just really interesting looking at Flesh and Blood as the benchmark of a great card game and then playing something like Lorcana. Like I think Lorcana is better than I think Lorcana is better than like like you know sealed chaos magic, right? Like which is really clunky and I mean depends. I, se- I mean sealed, <laughs> right? So like these like I don't know, it depends on obviously how you enjoy magic, but I think that like underpowered non-synergistic magic to me i don't find as enjoyable as like constructed that's player by player but i think that matt that like lorcana feels like that but then they've solved some of you know the mana issues and but like those have been solved for like 20 years like people people know how to solve that issue so yeah they just took a lot of aspects from other card games and i think that ultimately it is just card design and balance if the game is well balanced and the card design is exciting then you know you don't need complicated interactions and complicated rules to make a great game you don't so uh still a lot to see but uh i was surprised you know i was i was like i was like wow they really they really played this one safe is what it felt like and um yeah i think flesh and blood is 
freaking awesome game, dude. Like Flesh and Blood is, in my opinion, the best card game on the market right now. Um, I think that it can only be rivaled by Marvel Snap, which is, I don't even think they're in the same genre. To be honest, I don't, I don't, I don't even think they're in the same genre at all. But uh, yeah, Flesh and Blood, I think, uh, yeah, if they, if they do things right, this is, this is the best card game around. Yeah, there's always, I played a bit of Digimon when it came out as well. There's always things I pick up and I think are really interesting. And there's so many, I think a lot of games that, that, come out recently in particular have really cool aspects so snap i really like the the fast-paced gameplay i love mm-hmm. the the lane base of nature of it but there's some things i really freaking hate about that game as well um not to mention you know not even starting on the economy it's the game itself i have issues with and then like digimon i played a bit of that and i was like yeah cool i really like this resource system it's like a back and forth resource system where you you use resources which pushes resources to your opponent for instance you know lorcana i was like okay this this kind of mechanic of shift and the kind of idea of Reaping lore is quite interesting. Um, but the, ultimately, it's just like, what's the total gameplay? And I think I'm away from the weekend with um, appreciation for the total gameplay aspect of <laughs> Flesh and Blood. Yeah. And hence why I'm excited to see kind of Baltimore unfold. Yeah. I mean, Flesh and Blood, I think, is, well, I actually want to, let's open up the main topic with that. Uh, Hayden, do you think that, f- so Flesh and Blood, the cost constructed meta and Baltimore does look to be diverse. If you look at the past two battle hardened tournaments, it's an extremely diverse top eight, Hayden. Do you think that a diverse meta like what we've seen right now in class constructed leads to a better, on average, a better gameplay experience than a more narrow meta that's dominated by three decks that are maybe in sort of a rock, paper, scissors esque kind of format? So we got to use some examples. We'll use Pro Tour Baltimore, the upcoming meta for class constructed versus Proto number one, <clears throat> which kind of, what, what, what kind of, uh, in, in what scenario, in what environment do you have more fun as a player? Because I think that your answer and my answer is actually not what people would think. PT1 by like mm-hmm. a massive margin. And the, the problem I have with these, oh, far out, we're starting on the, <laughs> we're starting on this note. Why did you start with this question? I guess my problem with this idea of wide open meta is that a lot of these decks just do the same thing. They're mm-hmm. quite... They're quite homogenous, I think, which is not really what I want from Flesh and Blood. And what I quite like about, yes, I understand the criticism of, you know, events like PT1, even PT2 with kind of the narrowness of maybe the the hero pool and what is viable to play. But all of those heroes felt really, really different. All of the game plans felt really, really different. And I think right where we are now is it's a lot of this kind of value proposition and mm-hmm. the, the some of the power creep we've started to see with kind of the value of cards, I think has made it so that the decks feel a little bit more similar the the heroes and their their play styles feel a little more similar which is not something that i particularly enjoy i would say like the micro sort of you know there's some micro interactions that are that are interesting that are different between every single hero but the, the macro feels quite similar which is not really where i want to be to be honest and i miss kind of heroes like chain and prism for, for that reason <laughs> um which sounds a little bit silly but when it comes to gameplay that's why i've been enjoying limited i think because there is just a there is a lot happening, but also they're very different between the three classes and their playstyle. And you're kind of you know you're you're playing across those. You know, it's not it's no wider mm. than the six heroes. It's no wider than the three classes. And I felt with class constructed kind of in my testing, and, and maybe this is a little bit of why I've kind of been a little bit more disconnected. Maybe it is partly not going to be at the PT. Maybe it is partly just in my enjoyment of the format. Um, you know, this it's so wide now, and think that is that is daunting to start with and then also sometimes you pick things up and you go wow this feels like kind of similar um what's my kind of incentive to to play it so yeah, it's interesting 
So my reason for asking this question is that I just want to address or like sort of poke at the thesis that the more diverse the color or the hero pie, the better. And I don't, I, I genuinely don't believe that's true. Um, it's not that this meta is bad. It's just that I look back at something like PT2, PT number one and PT2, and I think that as a competitor, those were much more enjoyable to prepare for, try to crack. And like they, those metas, I felt like I had maybe less PT2, but I had, uh, you know, I could express myself better as a player you know there was more room for creativity you know like um there was more to figure out i kind of felt like i don't know i just i just enjoyed them a lot more but like you said uh it's, it's hard to say right now but let's talk about why why this meta looks like a freaking um hero soup right now so go ahead Aiden. well i just want to say i guess if you want to talk about because I, I felt like you were kind of reaching for not reaching for but trying to find the words as terms of like what it. is yeah, there was. what is making it feel like this and a lot of it is you go and look at the decklist right now We've actually moved to a point where the decklists also look a bit more um, modernous than they have previously. You know, mm. we're in a, a meta where almost everyone's playing a certain amount of generics you know, to, to combat certain strategies or to play in a certain way. And I think we, we didn't actually necessarily see that as much at PT1 and PT2. Um, it was about more, a lot more about the class cards. And I think the power level was a little bit higher. Obviously, you know, Alice has made that decision to bring the power level back down a little bit to a degree in terms of just the synergistic nature of the heroes and what the decks are doing when you look at something like prism and spectra you look at chain and, and uh soul shackles and things like that barbo and barbo of course <laughs> um but you know i think that means that these generics have a better place so e-strikes oasis sink belows nc of course uh, which just makes some of the playpens feel a little bit similar i i honestly think that's what it is but I will say one thing I, I do like about how diverse these top eights have been is that it means that people can can really play the things they want mm. and find the lanes to be in. And, you know, you're not dealing with necessarily metas where it's like you have these. And I know this has been a criticism for, for you, Brennan. You really don't like the idea of like 80, 90 in matchups, right? Yeah. You've you've been pretty. Whereas I'm I'm a bit more of like I kind of like those. I like having those in the game. I think they're good for the game. But we are. what I will say is we're in a format where we don't have that as much you know there's maybe very few of them <laughs> if any at all and i think that's what's giving people a lot of enjoyment of how wide these metas are is because they feel like they can play the hero they you know maybe at worst a, a 40 percenter into these these matchups and that, that's a that's a good feeling it feels like there's play to it um which is i agree is definitely a feel good i actually think it's maybe not as necessarily as good for the competitive scene but i i think that's okay for, to be in that sort of period now where we're kind of moving through we're kind of i think we've gone through these these phases where we went through this really high power phase with Tails, Varia, and Monarch, and we're kind of coming out the other side of it. And I think this is like a stabilization period. And then I think we're going to see the game change a little bit more as we head forward with, you know, Dust or Dawn, the reintroduction of talent. Because talent feels like it's not as relevant right now as it has been previously. Mm -hmm. um, and when I, the reason I say that is you look at Lexi, which is probably seen as a top deck right now. You know, people are playing it pretty untalented, right? They're looking, they're focusing on just the value of the arrows right now. But I think with Dust of Dawn, for instance, we'll see some of these talents become a bit more relevant again. And I think that'll add more interest back into maybe what the format looks like. So I'm really optimistic. I know we've talked about Hero Pie and the sort of health of the format and not being correlated. We've talked about that a lot. <laughs> we think we've had a lot to say about that. We've said it over the, the years. Um, and I, yeah, I agree with you. Feel free to listen. Yeah, so let's, um, let's go result to result here. Um, so one thing I want to say is I've seen a lot of 
specialists sort of rise up in this meta, by the way. So people that play specific decks, they seem to be having success with this deck. So, you know, we talked about Brody Spurlock winning on Azalea, but previously to that, Levi Rauch was playing a lot of Azalea and actually saw success mm -hmm. on a battle harden. I know Mara Ferris has been doing well with Jermai, um, kind of a Jermai truther for <laughs> quite a while. And you see other players doing well with Jermai as, as well. I mean, the thing is, is like, it's funny how I think that prior to the most recent tournament, you looked at like, you know, East Coast, Midwest, uh, a tournament versus like a West Coast tournament. They were, they were vastly different. Um, but anyway, on to the results. Let's talk about the first one. So this is Chicago Brawl, uh, the $5,000 one. Um, you know, Brody Spurlock comes in first on Azalea. Number two, Azalea, uh, Icelander, Azuri, Dash, Lexi, Oldham, Briar. And then we go to the most recent tournament, which is Oldham, Oldham. Jermai, Azalea, Zuri, Alexi, Bravo, Dash. So just a lot being represented. You know, my original thesis as soon as Outsiders came out that Icelander would criminally follow the meta seems to have come to fruition, Hayden. I have to mention. Uh, what, what, talk to me. I think Icelander is still a very, very powerful deck. So why is it not showing up? I, I want to start there. Wh what's wrong with Icelander? Why people hopped off the deck and why is it not being successful? So I think you look at representation, not just top eights, which is interesting. So mm -hmm. for example, if we look at Richmond over the weekend, our, our most recent set of results that people are going to really be looking to as we head towards the Pro Tour next weekend, two weeks apart, reminds the number one most played deck. Yep. And then Lexi, and then Ultim, and then Azalea, Bravo, then Azuri, et cetera, et cetera. Icelander, two copies of the 91 players. Two people picked up, two people picked it up. And I think the reason, the big reason for that is the struggles into Ranger. Mm -hmm. um, the prominence of Dromai because of uh, because people just think Dromai is good. It's pretty popular, typically in that part of the world as well, in um, North America, and the sort of perceived matchup of Dromai into Rangers and the kind of rise of Rangers, right? So, and and, and Dromai is pretty reasonable to Rangers, right? It has this, this good game plan that Rangers struggles to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, so, I think that is all these things have contributed to Icelanders' fall. Is Icelander a bad deck? No, I think Icelander is still really, really strong, and I think there's ways to look at Icelander to specifically against the Rangers, I think, which could give Icelander enough tools. The will be positioned pretty near the top. The question becomes is like, is it enough? And then if I'm looking at that, should you just be playing Ultim or, mm. you know, maybe even Dromai, for instance? And I think that's what people are sort of making the decision about right now. So I expect we'll see some Icelander. I think people will come with some innovations, especially people who, who like Icelander, like the play patterns. I mean, it's such a consistent deck. So always going to be viable as long as you can find the the game plans to deal with what you think is going to be at the top of the meta um but i think you know it's gonna it's gonna be reasonably lowly represented comparative to the last few events so over the past few pods you and i have i guess either explicitly or implicitly <laughs> said that ultim is the best deck do you still i mean obviously ultim what well, it was a double ultim final recently do you still think that to be true do you still think ultim will be the most represented deck do you think that it will be that it is going to be the most fundamentally powerful deck at pro tour yeah yeah i do and <laughs> let me give you the kind of reason because i think it's pretty straightforward the reason for this and it stems back to what I just said about the format before, about the kind of diversity of the format. The format has come from this really powerful place of Monarch and Tales of Aria, like we talked about, and the power levels as the, the synergistic nature of the heroes and the, the just the raw power of the heroes has kind of come down. So we're now focused more on the power level of cards rather than the power level of heroes. And that mm. really suits Ultim. Ultim has um, really good matchup spreads. You know, it's pretty tight at... Uh, never has a really bad matchup. It has great access to really strong blues that allow it to have consistency. It has good attacks that provide disruption. It has a good hero ability that provides disruption as well as flexibility. 
and it also can be built flexible. Um, plus, you know, the, the, it has this, this card called Crown of Seats and this card called Ramp Up. So Ultimate's still in a really, really good position. Um, is it like outright just the best deck? I think that's going to depend on what the metagame looks like. I think something else could be better positioned depending on what shows up. You know, so there might be a better meta call, which means mm. that it's a better deck for the form for the for the event. But I think Ultim is just the best deck in terms of just in a vacuum. Um, it just gives you, I think, the, probably the best matchup spread, which is really interesting. Now, saying that maybe you know everyone sort of knows that and they target it, and everyone yeah. shows up with. Lexi, for instance, and and I don't know, control dash, let's say, you know, like full on control dash. Then all, all of a sudden, you know, that's that's much less a field for the old ones to play in, but I think it's Yeah. The old the old layer one, layer two, layer three. Um Yeah, it's uh I wanna ask you about another deck. Um and Is it Dramai? It's not. It's actually Dash. What do you think about Dash in this meta? Because what, one of the things I think is most interesting about the Dash deck is the same paradigm that exists with the Ultim deck, which is when you play against a Dash, how do you sideboard? Vastly different decks you could be playing against. Yeah. And even it's even worse than against Ultim because we're talking vastly different decks. Do you think the Dash potentially has room to be like well positioned in this meta? I know that some people say the uh you know, this like wombat or whatever the hell they call this dash tree deck. Frog. Yeah, tree frog fatigue dash is uh you know struggles into your mind stuff like that but against you know potentially something like old him where it's assembly exodia and defense reactions against azalea it seems like it could be potentially decently well positioned maybe not at richmond because it was uh jermai fest but you know if i look at if i'm a jermai player and i look at the richmond results doesn't look too good hayden doesn't look like jermai is <laughs> not a great conversion no and it hasn't been for the so just to start on jermai it hasn't been for the last two events both at the brawl and in Richmond, and those, I mean, look, there has been other events. I want to point out that the only Battle Harden we've had is Richmond. The Brawl event wasn't a Battle Harden. We did have other events happening on the West Coast at the same time. We've had other events, regional events in Europe, Asia. Um, but these are the results we have. This is where the focus has been because there was coverage and there was, there was quite a heavy player base there. Uh, so, Dramai has not had the re results. Like, it, it's put Dex into top eight, but it's been first or second most played at both of these events. Um, and, you know, you look at the decks that are around like third or fourth a better conversion so but it's still it's still putting yeah, it's putting dicks into top eight it's still putting up results um so i think it is important to note that it's not just like it's not the old prism adage from sort of a year and a half ago when it was like prism is the most played deck and it's like two percent ah, of the wins or whatever in road to national uh, season illusion it's the illusionist uh <laughs> the illusion of illusionist exactly Go ahead. dash though yep. yeah yeah on the dash point um it's interesting because i think if you make the medical to show up with this control dash deck then you know presumably you're targeting ultim and maybe you feel like you have a good range of matchup i don't know that it does have a good range of matchup by the way when it comes to azalea yeah. um because i think there's only so many defense reactions in your in your deck and you know you to set up items you have to potentially leak damage and azalea can present damage every single turn it's so consistent so i don't actually know on that matchup i think both sides players who have practice both sides i could see it being a 60 60 matchup the classic where like these area players like nah it's fine you can throw enough damage and the dash players like nah it's fine you have enough defense to like set up your board stay and get through the game so i could see either side feeling favored and i think that's going to be ultimately whether dash is good enough or not like my my thought is that dash is not in a good spot in this format right now i think if you show up with the the roll sort of build you're just really susceptible to getting blown out by people just still playing aggro because mm -hmm. people will still find reasons to play aggro i think briar is a really good spoiler alert a really good choice for this upcoming pt 
Um, and then also, how good is your actual matchup into Ultim and Azalea? And I'm sure there'll be some dash control stands out there or tell me it's really good. And I, I believe them. Um, my experience has not been that it's been overwhelmingly great, though. So There are more stands that exist now in flesh and blood than there ever have been there are people that are holding sure. true to their deck because every deck is it does seem like these decks are all really playable but i mean you talk about 60 60 matchups i mean i think we're in the era of 90 90 where like there's a bunch of people who just think that their deck uh, is that's like, ridiculous though. their deck is just the best deck okay so we talk about azalea but what do you think about lexi you know we've seen lexi represented these top eights is there you know lexi goes a bit wider of course what is what kind of choices are you 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 i mean what kind of decisions are you weighing up i think is a better a better way to phrase it when possibly making the choice between something like lexi and between azalea like what meta calls are you making to try to exploit with lexi instead of azalea because azalea seems to be uh the better performing deck so far and maybe the more represented deck what does lexi offer that uh, azalea doesn't so is it the better performing deck? Because both top eights had Lexi and Azalea represented. I will give you Azalea obviously won that event, mm. the first event. Um but let's just let's just remove Brody Spurlock from the equation for a second. Let's just <laughs> okay. take him out of the, the top eights. Then Lexi it would be had it a would, performance. It would be one to two technically. So right now it's uh it's it's three to two, but two of those are Brody Spurlock. So if we if we delete Brody Spurlock, then yes, Lexi does look like sure a better ranger deck. I'm sure some people would like to do that to give themselves a better chance in North America. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think the, the consideration for whether you play Lexi is meta. So if you want a better ultimate, a better Dramai matchup, then you, you probably play Lexi, I think. I think as we've developed in this metagame and people have realized, you know, Azalea is real. It is a top contending deck. It is a very good aggressive deck that presents questions, presents on-hit effects that are, are really, you know, you can have some massive turns with Azalea. Ultims have adapted. They've adapted to find the right builds that can, because Ultim can, has the tools to do it. On the other hand, though, Lexi can go really wide. It can cause a lot of problems. It, it abuses two of the most powerful cards that Ranger has access to in the form of Rain Raisers and Three of a Kind, which have just all of a sudden kind of been forgotten a little bit, I think. Mm. So I, I think, and you know, Lexi was the second most played deck in, in uh, Richmond, which is surprising because as much as I think that Lexi's good, did everyone know that? Has everyone been had Lexi on the radar? I think the answer is no, which means Lexi's probably going to be even more played come, say, at least the calling in Baltimore, if not the Pro Tour, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, so I was just thinking about that point. If it's the second, if it's the second most represented deck with only one top eight, you know, maybe that doesn't bode as well for the conversion. But that could just be the amount of Dramai that showed up, I guess, potentially. Uh, talk to me about Azuri. There seems to be an Azuri creeping into these top eights every single time. But this mm -hmm. looks like a deck to me that, you know, if we if we had a sort of scale for decks that I believe in, I think that Azuri would probably be on the bottom. <laughs> I mean, you look at the, I guess the conversion. Azuri has a bit of conversion than <laughs> yeah. into top eight than Dromai. It's, like, it's like the Kano conversion was Azalea. like what was it like fucking, what thirty <laughs> percent? Yeah, yeah. But that's it. I mean, the reason I think we've seen Azuri in these two top eights is that it's a really technical deck. I think, and people have probably, you know, if you're playing on Telashai, you're probably getting some reps into Azuri. But the Azuri list can look wildly different, and I think um, it reminds me a little bit of Dorinthia from. Welcome to Wraith. It reminds me a little bit of Bolton from Monarch. If you don't have the reps playing into it, it can be really, really difficult to play into it. People will, will make incorrect decisions when it comes to defending. They won't have the right game plan to punish sort of Azuri's weaknesses. And I think, you know, I, Azuri is solid, I would say. It is maybe somewhere in that sort of 
tier two region, I think maybe tier three, but it bumps itself up by just, I think, having access to tools that are hard to deal with and maybe the opponent not knowing how to deal with it. I think that's why it's seeing some success, to be honest. So I think it has a little bit of the Dorinthia syndrome. Do we need to talk about Bravo? Uh, probably. I think. Why would you play Bravo? Ranger, right? I think that's why you play Bravo is probably for Ranger. Now the the problem is, you know, do you have do you have a, a better or worse for my matchup? Probably the same. Ultim feels like a really tough matchup for you. That's traditionally been really favored for for Ultim. Um but you know, I mean, if you feel like you have a good matchup into Ranger and Dramai, and that's looking like it might be forty percent of the meta, Bravo is back on the table, right? Yeah. So do Even you if think- you do just think it's a worse Ultim, then it's it's Yeah, I was gonna table. say, do you think that it's you think there's situations where it's a better like I mean I think there are situations... like if the meta was and I know this is not the case, of course, but if the meta was mono fi, I think that yeah, in that case maybe bravo is a better old him but against these against these other decks i still think that the old him the tempo oriented old him deck is just a better bravo deck because of its access to crown of seeds and just a much much larger card pool what do you think so i guess the crippling crush is like <laughs> it always comes back to crippling crush right mm-hmm. and of course, the dominate I mean, effect if it didn't come back i mean let's be real bravo's hero ability not it's not old him zero ability. So yeah, you have a spe- you have some specialization cards. Is crippling crush enough of an art? Is it is it compelling enough? I think it's gonna be meta dependent. I, I mean, I think it's probably not quite. It's kind of been always. You know, I know we've we've gone back and forth on this. You've been pretty adamant over the sort of three of our podcast that old him is just the better um, guardian. I think, mm-hmm. and I've been sort of I flipped and flopped. Sometimes I've agreed with you. Sometimes I've disagreed with you. I think all in all, it is right, but. I do still think there are times where Crippling Crush and Access to Dominate and the play patterns is going to be really relevant. I don't know if Baltimore and this kind of this meta is one of them, but you know what? If Lexi is the second most played deck and maybe you do have a bit of Dramai matchup than Ultim, uh, yeah, maybe you know because of Crippling Crush, because of the on tap Dominate, then yeah, maybe that is what you what you need and what you want. Yeah, so one of the main reasons why I think that uh, Bravo is a boomer hero is because, <laughs> yeah, but I honestly, the one time, uh, this is a funny story, because the one time that Hayden and I maybe flip-flopped on this this whole discussion was when he thought that Ultim was obviously better, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to play Bravo instead, and I went and played Bravo to battle hard. Um, but yeah, the reason why I think that uh, Bravo in particular is a boomer flesh and blood hero is because nowadays the decks that Bravo is really good against or should be like Fi, like Briar, you know, these aggro decks, you these on-hit effects or preventing them playing cards, they have fridges now. And like, that's just, it's really good. Like Briar can block a crippling crush and that's BS. Like, I think that that's just kind of crazy. Um, and that's the hardest part about Bravo is like the game exists on such a fine line and then you try to pivot with something like a crippling crush and it gets blocked by an entire fridge. And then, you know, you've taken, you're being presented with 35 something damage from like a, a channel mount heroic. It, 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 yeah, it, it's tough. It's tough to exist in the day and age where aggro decks have access to armor that was previously only available to, uh, you know, like control decks. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think Ultim is probably going to be the, the better pick, but Bravo's on the table because I think Guardian's in a good spot right now. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk a little bit about aggro because what is aggro in this meta? And I think if you look at the results from Richmond, it looks like it's it's the Rangers, it's Lexi, it's Azalea, they, and then a bit of Katsu and Briar. Those look like that is why aggro is in this format, um, which makes sense. So we've gone from this kind of these aggro decks that are a bit more sort of 
um, power, power, power weapon into really focus sort of either go wide or go tall through attack actions um, and abusing sort of some above rate cards or significantly above rate cards, you know, three of a kind, rain raises when it comes to Lexi and, um, or a codex as well. Lexi still plays codex and makes a really good use of it as well. But then for Azalea, codex, premeditate, the lace widths, the, just the overrateness of the arrows and death dealer. You're abusing death dealer because that is replaces itself. Mm. Um, but what does the other aggro sort of options look like? Because I think the part of the reason Droma has been so heavily played is it's like, okay, you have a pretty good matchup into Ranger. And what are the other aggro decks that you're worried about? And I think that's honestly why people have defaulted to playing Dromai, especially if people think they have a good ultimate matchup. Look, I'm not going to get into this debate again. Uh, you can bring Tarek back on the pod if you want to talk uh, talk about that. Um, but I think we're going to see a bit of a rise of other aggro decks, of these more weapon-based aggro decks that we haven't seen in a while. So I think Katsu isn't it, unfortunately, as much as I would love to say that Katsu is great and Katsu looks exciting. Um, it's not quite there. Briar, on the other hand, is still really really powerful and it's been pretty underrepresented i would say at these last two events i think heading into both the pt and the calling i think we're going to see more of it and i think it's poised to do well i think people have to have the right builds they have to understand how they want to play into ranges in particular and if lexi's on the rise that can be difficult especially if they're going to have some amount of ice which i don't it doesn't look like just to be clear these lexi decks look pretty useless they look more focused on value Leveraging three of kind, rain raises, um, codexes, etc. Um, but Channel Heroic still amazing. Rosetta mm-hmm. still amazing, and you block really well, which is good against rangers. So I, I you know, it's, I would be playing Briar. I think if I was going to, that's that's what my testings led me to. So let's put it on a little bit of a like if we're valuing the meta over over the course of these results rolling in. I think that if Icelander, you know, in the early days of this meta was like a heavily represented deck that'd be a reason why i would be like yeah briar i'm not too sure about it despite what you know you or i might think about that match specifically we look at the world championships as sort of a poster of the result Icelander, sucks. yeah Icelander, so yeah, Icelander <laughs> is good into briar um but you know as Icelander gets forced out of the meta uh from decks like azalea you now have opportunity to come back in uh because and briar is a potential pick but Second most played deck is Lexi. How do you feel playing into that deck? And is that is that most recent data point, you know, Lexi being the most the second most played deck, does that make you waver at all on your on your Briar pick? Oh yeah, a little bit. But I think if the, based on the list that we're seeing, these lists that are a bit more, you know, they're less fuse lists, they're less ice focused. Because what 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 traditionally killed you in that matchup as as Briar was the fact that you could deal with kind of the on hits and some of the value and them having big three of a kind turns because you, you have your own big turns to have what absolutely destroyed you though is when they have like um you know chilling into you know uh, an endless arrow and they get back into arrow. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. Like, yeah. yeah mostly mostly chilling that's the one that really crushes you yeah yeah so you're really hard to, you can't choose when you have your big turns when the, the, they're just presenting damage choose when you have those big turns and you defend pretty well so you can defend on other turns you can stop the kind of repetitive nature of cards like endless arrow uh you can stop some of the above rate things like um acting shot for instance there is a lot of good cards they have in access to now which means that just the power level in total is better so codex for instance is obviously a big upgrade there that helps the consistency as well so i think the the power level might have gone up the disruption's gone down and where that balances out for the matchup is the toughest part i would say the matchup feels better than it did before when they're more focused on kind of the disruption element because just like i said you get to choose your spots but i think it's i think it's tough still um but if i look through you know dromai 
feel good about that matchup. I like the ultimate matchup as a, as a Briar player. I, I, that's a good matchup for Briar. Um, 90, 90. And then, well, I don't think it's that good, but I think I think it's favored for Briar. And then you've got Azalea afterwards, and I think kind of what I've been looking at is that matchup, and I think there's, there's ways to have a good matchup as Briar and them. So, yeah, I mean, makes sense. I I'm really interested to see where we land um, in terms of like the la- like how did how would you break down the layer one layer two metagaming? Do you think that because we look at Ultim as being the best deck, do you think that most people are going to default to layer one and be be on the best deck, or how many how many people do you think in proportion? I think is a better way of phrasing it. Do you think we'll respond and try to play some counter deck? Because in in, pra- in past pro tower in past pro tours, the top three decks were pretty were pretty predictable, and the top deck in particular was quite predictable. So it was really it was I think it was very reasonable to go layer two and play the deck that beats the deck. Um, um, and even so reasonable that it was it made a little bit of sense if you were cooking something up in your testing group that yeah you, know, you could go layer three because you you're like this is so obvious that there's this deck that absolutely counters this um, you know this best deck where where do you think they put their Baltimore land? Whether people do this consciously or subconsciously, I think that it's a little bit different to past pro tours. I think at past pro tours the power level of decks has been really evident. So you take let's take PT two right. Power level of Prism and what that does and how it interacts with decks like Ultim, for instance. The power level of a deck like Briar in that format and what it does, and even to an extent, the power level of let's say Ultim in that format. Like they were, I think they were really clear. Well, you got a PT one Chain Prism, Davo. It was really clear how powerful these these heroes were over and above. We don't have that. That's what I'm saying. The power level is a lot closer right now. But I think this kind of idea that people will think that Ultim is clearly by far and away the best deck. I don't think it's going to happen. But what people will think is they'll actually look to consistency as a form of power and what are the most consistent decks in this format well ultim is one of those so it elevates it to do mm. a very good deck but because of the closeness of things i don't think that people are going to have this idea of these overwhelming far and away best decks right so i think what that means is that the the players are going to look for what feels go a bit more by feel rather than just pure sort of numbers and results what feels better what feels like it has more raw power and what has consistency and I mean, those decks are kind of at the top of what we saw in Richmond last week. Like, mm. it's Ultima, it's Dromai, it's, it's Ranger. Yeah, in a vacuum, I would pro- I would lean towards picking Oldham for this Pro Tour because of the good matchup spread. And I think that, you know, it's baseline, the most powerful deck, has access to some of the best cards. Uh, I do think that people will show up on a variety of, you know, I think that the diversity of decks that show up will be greater than it has been in past Pro Tours. So I think that, you know, Master Spread would be very important to me in a, in a tournament like that. That being said, I, pref- I preface that by saying in a vacuum because, you know, if you were cooking up a Briar deck and you're like, hey, here's this Briar deck, yeah, yeah, I'd probably pick that up. Let's be real. Um, it wouldn't be an Arsenal, yeah, it wouldn't be an Arsenal Pass podcast unless we talked about Kano at the Pro Tour. So Kano at the Pro Tour looks like garbage <laughs> because all these decks are playing Oasis or Spite against Azalea, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not, and oh, yep. yeah, also we've talked about the uh, the Kano parable, you know, like uh, trying to, you know, what metas it's good into. Uh, let's just go, you know, short and short of it. This is the worst kind of meta just in terms of like what might show up, you know, all that, all that stuff. And then also, you know, the ultimate, the sort of uh, the trap card against Kano is just being put in decks because of another deck anyway so we talked about Kano last week i don't think anything's changed on that regard but the, i will opposition you with uh one other hero brennan yes right now <laughs> 
Oh, come on. <laughs> so, look, I'm not saying to everyone go out and play right now, but if we're doing the, the old can you play Kano in this format, then I'm going to do the old can you play right now in this format. I haven't, I haven't said it in a while. I'm going to revive it. And I do think if you are looking for a time to play right now, this kind of format is a lot more advantageous to it than a format where ninjas are great, rune blades are great. A format where you've got guardians, illusionists, and rangers, that, that's a lot more profitable for, a format for or Reiner. Now, if you're out there saying, okay, what, how, how do I even do this if I want to play Reiner right now? My advice would be club. Yeah. Look at club and look at sort of some really value oriented sort of uh, deck builds mm-hmm. that have good defensive options. Play a really old school kind of grindy uh, Reiner, almost semi combo finish deck with, with uh, Intimidate. And I think, I think there's something there. Yeah. I'm not going to spend time on it because I've fallen down that trap so many times, but. And I think Reiner fundamentally just isn't quite powerful enough. Exactly. Right. Doesn't have enough of the consistency of powerful cards. But I do think that, you know, Reiner is in a much, much better spot than it has been for a lot of other events previously. So I Would think, I play it? No. But, you know. I think Reiner is a historically, you know, it always depends on the deck build. Historically, quite a synergistic deck. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things we talked about in this meta is that, you know, the deck, uh, the deck colored pie or the the hero pie it might be diverse but the decks feel a bit samey you know because there's a lot of cards that are making it into all the same deck lists like we've had a bit of power creep and does feel like there's cards that are just better than other cards i think reinar is a, is a deck when built synergistically has a, has been in the past is just like yeah i mean it's just consistently underpowered <laughs> just like the mm-hmm. cards are underrated to what we're seeing dominate the meta right now um yeah, so I think that that's probably the crux of the issue. But yeah, there is, there's, there's always, you know, there's something there. There's potentially something there. Who knows? Maybe there's a combo deck that will show. You know what would make me happy? You asked me a question about casting. Uh, I don't. Know, it's definitely last pod. But you know what would make me the happiest at something like the Pro Tour as a caster is for a deck like Kano at PT One to show up a combo deck that people are not anticipating mm-hmm. that just uses a, a few cards that are traditionally used and is able to pull off something that people didn't think was previously possible. That is the most exciting thing for me to watch at a tier four level event where people can really reap the rewards of a deck like that. You know, the, yep. the effort it takes to find, you know, if they even exist in a game like Fab, which is, you know, obviously because of the algorithm, they're very unlikely. Bolton is going to be show up at at, uh, at Baltimore. Which one? Bolton at Baltimore. Bolton? Bolton? Yeah, that one. The one where you just draw cards. I'm sorry. That's... I, yeah, I hate both. I do like uh, I do like combo old him though. You know the fatigue old him list where you know you combo them by just blocking with all your cards and then combo. <laughs> they're fatigued. <laughs> all right. Well, last thing I want to say just just to finish up on Reiner uh, quickly. I just pulled up a. I had brainstormed the stick list so if people are looking mm-hmm. for some ideas for looking at Reiner. Um, I mean, my list has twelve defense reactions, nine barrage and beatdown, nine smash instinct, six savage swing. Um, looks pretty. It's club. So that's the build. <laughs> All right. Anything to uh, anything else to close out with before we uh, sort of out finish up this one? No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm really looking forward to. Obviously, we have another pod before we head into Baltimore, so we will we will talk a little bit more about, I guess, kind of the finishing of testing and what to expect. I think for the weekend, um, it's going to be a very interesting event. Mm-hmm. This meta kind of musical chairs continues a little bit in terms of. Where decks are, you know, Lexi really rising last weekend. Dromai still sitting in there somehow. Oldham sort of bouncing around. Uh, the aggro decks really on the downtrend. It's it's going to be interesting. 
Yep. Um, I don't think we mentioned this week, but if you do want to get your question read on the podcast for the Command and Cookout session, shoot us a comment on YouTube. Actually interested to hear on YouTube uh, what you all think the meta will look like for Pro Tier Baltimore. I think that the the answers will be... <laughs> quite different i think we will have a diversity of answers uh because everybody's got an opinion and this this meta i think is the most unclear by far uh so interested to hear your thoughts on pro tour baltimore meta predictions anyway we're both on twitter i'm at brendan apg hayden is at fin underscore dale check out the arsenal pass patreon we got some deck techs up there brody spurlock we talked about the battle hardened menace um did an azalea deck tech with us and has a sideboard guide tips and tricks all that kind of stuff on patreon so check that out and yeah, until next week, see you later. Yep. Yeah.